Hello everyone, this is Donovan LaCroxy. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Hip Hop, Let's Talk R&B, and let's talk what's going on in the community. We're definitely going to talk what's going on in the community today. And debuting with me over the phone, I've got from Wounded Warriors Canada, the executive, Scott Maxwell. How you doing? I'm great, thanks for having me on again. Okay, so let's talk, what is Wounded Warriors Canada, in case people want to know, because this is something different, listeners, we are talking about. Usually our listeners are used to listening about pop culture, music, and stuff, but today we're going to talk about something different. So do you want to talk, what is Wounded Warriors Canada? Yeah, sure, my pleasure. So we are a national mental health service provider that supports our our injured veterans, first responders, and their families who are who are struggle with the effects of operational stress injuries like post-traumatic stress disorder, which I'm sure you know a lot of your viewers viewers have heard a lot about PTSD, um, what happens when people are exposed to trauma and the effects of that. And obviously, for members that ser- serve in conflict zones around the world through the Canadian Forces, through our paramedics, our firefighters, police officers, um, correctional service officers, these types of folks who kind of do this um, on behalf of our country here at home as well, they deal a lot with traumatic exposure. And we want to make sure that that when members, uh, knowing that they're going to be seeing these things and dealing with these kinds of uh, scenarios all the time, that they're better prepared and as best prepared as they can possibly be to not only uh, know what to look for themselves early on, so up on the resiliency side of things more upstream but also i guess more most importantly is when they're not feeling quite right that they know to to take that knee or put a hand up and and feel that they are you know comfortably come forward and and seek assistance so that's really we kind of do two things uh uh, do a lot of things uh, some on the upstream side on the preventative side and, and a lot on the downstream side when it comes to a residential group trauma therapy. Mm-hmm. And why is this so important for Wounded Warriors Canada? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of the least, we kind of consider it the least we can do for all that the that the members uh, do, service and sacrifice on our behalf as citizens of, of this country. You know, they uh, if we just figure that they look out for us and our best interests to the best of their ability, and we got to make sure that I think we've learned a lot, not only through COVID-19, and but, but, but prior to this, in the last, certainly the last five to ten years, how little, how a little work and time and effort and and funding we were actually putting in into mental health resources. As we know, mental health is health, and we haven't always treated it that way. You know, when it if you're looking at it comparatively to physical health, so we got a long way to go. A lot of good things have happened and are happening, but but there's no doubt we feel that many times like we're just scratching the surface of making sure that we treat. Um, uh, mental health injuries as honorably as we do physical injuries. Mm-hmm. And why do you think people don't take mental health seriously? Well, I think that, you know I think that we're, we're all starting to. It's just, so I think what we've broken through a little bit is the stigma. You know, taking it seriously from a conversational element. I think we have made a lot of progress to that end. But I think what we now have to do uh, to back that up as a country. Um, as employers, as as you know, as as people, is make sure that there's not a, 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 a the fundamental disconnect that there is between having a conversation around mental health 
and actually accessing mental health services in a timely fashion. That we see that in the civilian population, um, all, you know, everywhere in the country, you know, as much as here, as we, no doubt we do in the city of Toronto, with backlogs, wait lists, and it's no different when it comes to um, you know the, the Canadian Armed Forces is 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 quite a bit ahead um, in terms of preparing our troops for what they're going to have to see and deploy to and so on with when it comes to mental health. Not perfect, but they're certainly ahead. Some is, some estimates say 15 years ahead of the preparedness that our first responder employers um, have been with respect to providing mental health support for, for their people. So kind of scary when you look at it that way, but I'm just thankful that we're having these conversations now in an open form as we are, uh, as evidence of conversations like this. And I think, I think you have to have a conversation to start almost anything. And it's no different when it comes to improving mental health support. Well, you're right. It has gotten a little bit better in regards to mental health. But what about for first responders? Do you find more first responders are opening up about their mental health? Or do you yeah. find there's still... I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's no stigma problem. Stigma... Well, a lot of it has to... Stigma prevails in some circumstances. There's no doubt. Long way, there's still many lots of strides we can take there I'll, but i think a lot of it that you've got there's a leadership issue in some of these you know you've got a lot of people that have been there for 25 30 years in some of these jobs that obviously mental health wasn't um, a, an integral component of of either their leadership style or you know the curriculum or anything that they were required to do as as leaders in organizations that's obviously changing now and there's all there can be resistance within employers to, to look after their people that are in that realm uh, and then there's funding and making sure that the that these that these services these first responder services and those that make decisions on how much we're allocating uh, to to what kind of side of what we're funding within them is mm-hmm. making mental health priority so there's it's you know you know mental health is the complexities of mental health are, are what they are. It's not a straightforward kind of one-stop shop and you have the solution, but it requires a multifaceted approach that um, needs to have a full buy-in from the entire employers writ large to make mental health part of all conversations, all um, whenever there's investments to be made, and just being proactive in, and allowing for the members ultimately to feel comfortable when they're not feeling right that when they put their hand up they're not going to be punished um, they're not going to be demoted and ultimately they're going to get the help that they deserve in a timely fashion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what do you say to first responders that they may have feel that if i do open up about this again like you said i might be reprimanded or they may not believe me what do you say now because we're in a time and culture where some first responders are battling people you know going out there and dealing with people who have mental illness whether it be through our firefighters police officers or veterans what do you say to that well this is it right i mean we gotta what we're what we're off what our members are facing is a lot different than in many respects it was uh years ago so we got to make sure that we're knowing that they're facing i think i read one statistic but through the ontario provincial police that uh, that almost 50 percent of every one of their calls deals with somebody suffering with some form of a mental illness that I mean, that's pretty significant kind of staggering numbers so we know they're the often the front the first line uh, of interaction with someone in crisis and yes, I know there's there's steps being made, obviously, to embed 
more mental health kind of professionals, psychologists, etc., into policing um, with mobile response teams and so on, which uh, have been in, existing for a while and will no doubt be added to. But that said, you're right, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, whoever is responding first to an emergency call is is going to be um, dealing with people um, that are struggling. And we got to make sure that, as I hope we say, healthy first responders equals healthy, and that's body and mind, physically and mentally, is going to lead to healthier uh, and more and safer communities. So we all... We call. We just want to make sure that we, you know, that we can lessen the amount of walking wounded that are out there doing their jobs every day, seeing what they're seeing every day, and yet not receiving care and proper supports and treatment to deal and process and regulate the effects of prolonged exposure to trauma. So, we, you know, we got a long way to go, but I'm just thankful we are making strides. We Warriors Canada. We've got about. We've got partner. We're officially partnered with dozens of, uh, of first responder services across the province of Ontario, including Toronto Fire, close relationship at times with Toronto Police and Paramedic Services, to to make sure that they know that they don't have the 100% solution when it comes to the mental health needs of all their employees. Um, and that's time to look outside the box, bring in professionals, external professionals to help add additional layers of support for their members and their, uh, and their families when they need it and ultimately get people access to this, this these supports uh, as quickly and early as we possibly can to keep them healthy, active, and uh, and, and uh, successful employees within our communities. Mm-hmm. Now get involved, right? So again, you had talked about programs just a little bit earlier, but what if some people do want to get involved? How can they get involved in this? Well, you know, we are lucky, I mean, on our charitable foundation side of Wounded Warriors Canada, we literally have um, hundreds upon hundreds of weight of people engaging, creating, you know, fundraising events, doing things, uh, everything under the sun you can imagine where Canadians are finding ways to kind of link Wounded Warriors Canada, the cause that we serve, veterans, first responders and their families to something that they like to do in their own personal lives or through their workplaces. So, you can, you know, anything from fitness events, runs, bike rides, baking events, yeah, everything. Any, any way that people want to get get involved, they really can. We, we are very open-ended in terms of working and being reflexive and adaptive to whatever the, whatever the, the individual or groups want to tie us into. So, you know, they can reach out to us here at Wounded Warriors Canada. Just go to woundedwarriors.ca. Um, we have all of our contact information there. You can a do-it-yourself fundraising platform is there. You kind of name it. We're here to help and engage Canadians. That's part of, we. you know, it's not really fundraising first for us. It's education, awareness, and then fundraising when it comes to our charitable foundation. You don't really have fundraising unless you have education and awareness. So that's kind of our approach to this whole conversation and trying to maintain keep that dialogue at the forefront of everyone's minds and consciousness so so that we can continue to do more of this life-changing work that we do on the program side of mm-hmm. Wounded Warriors Camp. Mm-hmm. Now, if there are international people listening right now that, say, from the States or Europe that want to support or get involved, are they allowed or is it just restricted to Canada no. only? No, that's right. No, people can. People do contribute from all around the world to us. Um, obviously, our allied nations like Australia... United Kingdom, uh, the United States. We got a lot of Canadians that are living all over the world, and and still find ways to support and contribute. So, you know, we know Canadians uh, prior to COVID 
uh, are every and still even with it with COVID are are living all abroad all around the world. We're very active and and travel oriented people as Canadians and. Uh, I'm not surprised to see the level of support that we have internationally for what we do and for those that we serve. So by all by all means, if you're listening and you're not in the country, thank you for listening and thank you for your interest and support. Now, uh, tell me about when COVID-19 had started, right? The pandemic, yeah. I believe we had started going into lockdown March in the in I believe it was March 14th or in the middle of the month of March, right? Yep, How right. were your thoughts when COVID had happened? What was the mindset with the first responders and you guys as an organization? Yeah, well, it wasn't. Uh, it was it was quite uh, quite an experience to be part of. To be honest with you, uh, a lot of our the vast majority of our programs are all facilitated in group form. So in person, in group form, kind of like mental health has always been serviced, and that's done in you know individual uh, in, in in person individual sessions, one hour long, with a psychologist, for example. And what COVID really did was turn all that on its head. Obviously, people weren't getting support that way; they weren't uh, seeing uh, their psychologist directly, and we weren't able to bring our groups together to do the work that we do. So uh, and that was all. And then not long after everything kind of shut down from from uh, from accessing the services side of things, we saw that horrific uh, shooting in Nova Scotia that, uh, you know, the, the largest mass shooting in Canadian history took place in Nova Scotia. So just weeks after everything was shut down and obviously we're just starting now to deal with um, the first responders that were on scene there and kind of struggling to find ways because the Atlantic Canada is in a bubble and you can't access the venues and so on. And so that bubble lifted bringing psychologists from other province to, to facilitate there. So it, it's really been co- complex and complicated. Um, it obviously put a lot of fear in us that there's a lot of people that we know that aren't receiving mental health care that need it and often need it badly. So well, a couple of things we did was we were able to pivot a little bit and create a, you know, a lot of, one of our new and emerging programs is for kids. So we have a warrior kids. We had a camp program built that was going to run all through the summer in various parts of the camp, the country. Obviously that wasn't going to happen. So we, we came up with a virtual iteration of that, the warrior kids virtual program and put 75 kids uh, who live in a home with a parent who suffers with an operational stress injury like PTSD into the six week program, just exceptional reviews upon the first delivery and, um, and also worked on our upstream resiliency training programs a lot to make sure that we were providing this trauma education and trauma information to those on the front line that were working, obviously, as essential workers every day amidst the pandemic. So we've learned a ton. And we've been able to make a difference and actually have an impact despite some of the significant challenges that we've faced in the mental health sector because of COVID. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're excited about getting our groups back together as we're, we're planning to do uh, as we call it, COVID restart for in-person group delivery plan we have all in place for the fall here. We're going to have a bit of a hybrid approach between running those those programs in person together in group and also doing some virtual uh, deliveries as well. So I think we're going to come out of this hopefully stronger than when we started. And how were the virtual camps in the summer? What was the feedback like from the first responders and people in the community? Yeah, the first they couldn't believe how effective it was that um, they can actually, you know, access really free and easily mental these this kind of really leading edge mental health service support and not have to drive or go places overnight and or whatever. Some people, as we were discussing, obviously 
it might, from an intervention perspective, clinically, it might not be the 100% solution when you compare it to being together with somebody in person, in group. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that um, that were thrilled by it. And the other thing that we're liking about the, the uh, impact of virtual delivery is it's going to significantly help break down geographicals, geographical barriers to mental health care that exist in Canada just because of the sheer size of our country. So, you know, I think we learn. It's not. It won't be for. It won't be it, like like everything else in mental health. There's not always the 100% solution in one place. But I think having virtual capability, in addition to bringing people together in in person as we had before, we're just going to have a bigger reach and more impact moving forward. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think they'll go? The the days will come back where you will be able to get large group of first responders yeah. together again, or you? Think- yeah, well, we're going to try that this. Uh, we're going to try that this this fall. So our groups aren't massive. So when we say getting our groups together, you're talking maybe twelve to fourteen people um, in terms of the group size per group. So it's not it's not like we're pulling together hundreds of people and anything like that. Um, that said, you know, obviously all the safety precautions almost would be the same in terms of how we're managing everybody that's coming to receive our mental health care in person. So uh, we are planning to to begin delivering some of these uh, residential programs again in the fall here, and I'll have uh, lots more to update hopefully come the end of November when we've actually have, have some experience um, delivering these services during COVID in person. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain about the bike ride? Because when I looked at the website, right, the bike ride was my favorite, but I know it didn't happen where you had to go virtual, but certain places they probably did a social distance bike ride. Do you want to explain right. that? That's right. Actually, it was awesome. They We had planned, we did. We led our first national ride, cycling uh, bike ride for mental health uh, on the weekend of August 22nd. And we initially planned to do that ride in Ottawa in person. And obviously needed to cha- pivot as well and change that uh, event to a to a national kind of wasn't I can call it virtual ride for health. It wasn't really so much a virtual ride for mental health as it was to your point. It was an opportunity for Canadians, no matter where they were living in in the in the country, to gra- gather small groups of like minded cyclists pick a distance, set a fundraising goal, build a team page, raise funds and awareness and education for for what we do and those that we serve. It, it ended up being a, a, a huge success. We had hundreds of riders in, in every province of Canada represented. The event raised over $130,000 uh, to support uh, direct, every dollar of that goes directly into our mental health services for frontline delivery uh, because there was no overhead expenses. There was no cost to deliver the event because everybody, frankly, built their own localized rides wherever they were in the country, got on their bikes and, and did their thing, and all the funding came in online through the, the online registration and fundraising portal. So like, not talking about learning through COVID, this was another learn, uh, you know, lesson for us to say, Maybe this is something that we maintain forever, even you know, with or without COVID nineteen in place. And because it just makes it, it was so successful, and it just makes so much sense economically in terms of what we're here to do, and that's raise money to support our programs. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I were talking on a radio interview I did right with you, and that's how yeah. listeners—he's what do you call it—a friend, a friend of mine because he what do you call it? 
I did a radio interview with him back a month ago. Now, you and I were talking, what are the goals from September on, even though you've talked about it a bit, but to the listeners, to get them, yep. to what are the goals for Wounded Warriors Canada from September and 2021? Well, I think one of the things, our big goal right now, looking uh, certainly through the rest of this year, calendar year, is to get to some, uh, you almost get some trial in-person group uh, deliveries behind us to see how this is going to work, how the com- how comfortable people are going to be to do this, and and how you know not only the participants but the clinicians themselves, the psychologists, and that. So everyone's got to feel comfortable for it to be effective, and so that's that's our big goal for the rest of this calendar year is restarting our our core group trauma therapy programs that really have been shut down entirely since March, which for us, you know, that that just kind of threw us off in a big way because we, prior to that, we were running several, several group programs every single month in almost every part of the country. So it's a big, it's basically the essence of what we do as a mental health service provider. So that for us is, is, is the, is our primary focus through this calendar year. Moving forward into 2021, um, other than just, frankly excited that for 2020 to be uh, past us and on to something new and hopefully nothing like 2020 is to hopefully there's a vaccine hopefully sometime next year there's com- comfortability people will get back to running uh, uh, group-based events for Wounded Warriors Canada because that's really the cor- in terms of our fundraising support obviously uh, the corporate Canada the business community stepped up they've been strong behind us Individual donations um, haven't really been down all that much at all year over year. What we've noticed is the big drop is uh, is the is the third party kind of community based fundraisers that can't happen because everything has been restricted. So I, I'm really hoping that we are able to turn that corner and go into a new year and certainly the the spring and summer season next year with with everybody able to do what they want to do to help raise awareness and funds for what we do. We have a, a big annual battlefield bike ride, cycling, another cycling event of ours, kind of our signature uh, event that we run overseas in Western Europe every summer. We have we had 150 cyclists registered to go over to the Netherlands uh, to fundraise, to, to ride and commemorating the 75th anniversary of the liberation of, of uh, the Netherlands. Obviously, that was cancelled. They cancelled all of the liberation 75th anniversary events in the Netherlands um, and shifted everything to 2021 for a 75 plus one commemorative uh, events next year that we'll be part of, hopefully. So if we can get that event off uh, in Europe, that will be a massive uh, kind of restart for us in terms of the of the, of the fundraising side of what Wounded Warriors Canada does and what we need to do our work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of things still up in the air. I mean, I'm I'm confident. I'm more confident about our ability to to deliver programs in group form than I am about where COVID nineteen is going to go in terms of allowing people to to hold events for us and, and be active together in group settings publicly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what do you want to say to the first responders? Because we talked about trauma. What do you want to say yeah. to the first responders right now that are experiencing trauma right now in Canada, the States, and Europe that don't know still about these resources? Yeah, I think, you know, you can never say it enough times, is that the help is available. There are, there are 
fantastic community-based and national, provincial or national services that are that do exist. You know, reach out to a peer, a wellness team member, an external organization like ours. Um, you know, just have you're not alone, in and we're all out here trying to do this important work for them. So I wouldn't, you know, I'm not just saying you're not alone in, in some, you know, just some obscure way. Um, I'm saying it because I know what we do every day here at Wounded Warriors Canada to help them. And it's important that they realize that um, we're doing this because they deserve it. And they don't deserve to feel or be alone. And they, and they deserve to receive this kind of uh, important trauma support in a, in a timely fashion. So, yeah, yes, we know we got a long way to go to improve the overall care that's provided, but help is available. It does exist. Um, you know, talk to somebody that they trust and begin to, begin to have that conversation sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Three things that, what do you call it, that you want to happen that have not happened yet for Wounded Warriors Canada. I know we've been talking about it. I don't mean to sound, it's not a repetitive question. Yeah, yeah. Something different that hasn't been done in Wounded Warriors Canada yet. Well, I mean, I, I think we, we are just really starting to experiment with virtual delivery of of trauma programming it's it's by that's number one i think we i would like to really see us pursue more use of of virtual technology than than we ever have as a really as a mental health sector in canada so that's that would be number one Uh, number two i'd like to really break down the geographical barriers that exist in the country when people are trying to access mental health it drives me it frustrates me to no end when someone can receive uh, a fantastic service in location A, but aren't able to receive the same level of service in location B, yet they do the same kind of work as a first responder or a veteran or something like that and, and have this uneven um, access to quality mental health support when they need it. So I'd like to use, I'd like to see us break down and continue to break down these geographical barriers to care and then Finally, I would like to be standing uh, in front of uh, the Canadian National uh, Military Cemetery in Holton in the Netherlands next year on or about the 22nd of June with having had 200 Canadian cycles through the battlefields of Western Europe and hopefully have raised about a million dollars through that effort to help us do what we do because we, we have um, surpassed the COVID era. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm glad you guys still are financially trying to hang it in together. I know with COVID, it's kind of put a little damper, but it's not too, too bad. There's still uh, resources and support, so I'm glad you guys are hanging and toughing it out in there. Yeah, we are. We're trying to, you know, I just can't thank the support of the country, of Canadians, people like you. Everyone's given us the time to do what we do, and you know, I I just can't thank them enough. They are the reason that Wounded Warriors Canada exists because of their care, compassion, generosity, uh, and support. So, you know, we're just we're we're going to hang in there. I, I'm confident of that. It's just uh, it, we can't wait to get back to normal, as I'm sure all of you and everybody else listening uh, feels the same. Now, I forgot to ask you how do, how does Christmas usually look over the holidays? Um, before what do you call it, COVID nineteen? Yeah. How were your Christmases with Wounded Warriors Canada? Well, you know, Christmas is 
the, the period between November, uh, basically Remembrance Day, so the 11th of November, right through to the end of the year, is often our, the most difficult year for people. Um, and uh, obviously, it's because it's the darkest time of the year. Um, Remembrance Day is not an easy day for a lot of veterans. And so I'm a bit, I am, I'm, I'm, you know, cautious. I'm a bit worried about what's, what the, what things are going to look like if we ever went back into a lockdown mode, etc. You know, it, it does worry you. Where we're not able to provide the support that we normally would, combined with you know the struggle that we know that exists around that period of uh, certainly the last quarter of every calendar year. So um, I'm hoping that things we we can get through it, and we don't have a second significant wave that closes everything down and allows us to still maintain delivering helping people through what is a tough time of the of the year sometimes isolation you know there's often fam- could be family issues etc that really exacerbate it so i'm hoping it i'm just hoping that we from a covid perspective first can make it through uh, uh, you know unharmed as best we possibly can so allowing all of us as a service pro- mental health service providing community to not worry about that and really just get right to the to the uh those that need help when they need it so otherwise christmas is yeah there's a people we, we're actually very busy in november christmas the last two weeks of december tend to be pretty quiet we, we end up doing a lot of our uh of what we used pre pre-covid we're able to do a lot of our donation presentations a lot of military engagement events and so on around around remembrance day um before things quiet down through the well pretty much after the first week of december Mm-hmm. Is that the same for Thanksgiving too, or not really? No, not really. Thanksgiving's not really uh, doesn't have any real uh, effect or impact on us one way or the other. I, I'd say we, we're flat out busy from basically Thanksgiving right through till the eleventh of, of November, and and then things settle down through the Christmas period. Okay, okay, okay. I want you to throw out your platforms again in case people want to get in contact or they want to reach what you call the Wounded Warriors Canada or they have questions or they would like to make a donation. Yes, so just woundedwarriors.ca. Everything's there. All of our uh, social media uh, links are there. Obviously, you can donate straight online and get a tax receipt uh, instantaneously. And, or, and more importantly as well, have, have a peek around uh, our impact section and learn about our programs and services that are, in many respects, uh, you know, leading the country for, for our uniformed service members and their families. All right, all right, all right. It was so good to get to know you, and thank you for debuting on this podcast. Any final things you'd like to say to our listeners? No, just uh, wish everyone the best this fall. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, and keep active, and, and, and take care of yourself. All right, all right, all right. I want to thank you for debuting on the podcast. And listeners, if you want to reach me, it's Donovan, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, period, L-A-C-R-O-X-I at Gmail, or on Instagram, it's Donovan, D-L-A-C-R-O-X-I. L-A-C-R-O-X-I. I want to thank the, the executive, Scott Maxwell, from Wounded Warriors Canada. And that's going to do it for another episode, episode 71, published September 8, 2020. Mr. Maxwell, again, I want to thank you. Thank you,